I direct your attention to John 7, verses 14 through 24 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath the man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Please pray with me. Father, we ask for your mercy and your grace. Quicken our hearts by your Holy Spirit that we may recognize the authority of your word, the authority of Jesus. Father, where our hearts are hardened, please break the hardness. Where our hearts are hurting, bring healing. And Father, where our hearts are wandering away from you, bring them back to you. And incline us to seek you, to live in submission to your word, seeking to obey, thus bringing glory to your name. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. There's no shortage of religions around the world. If you were to look at an encyclopedia or to do an internet search, you would find thousands of religions. One that you would come across is actually one that was founded in 1996. A man by the name of Dan Kriegman founded a religion called Yoism, Y-O-I-S-M. It's still in effect today, many adherents, because this religion is based on what's called the open source theory. Now you may be thinking, open source theory, what in the world is that? If you have ever looked up anything on Wikipedia, you've experienced open source theory. It's where anyone can define anything based on what they want to. There's no standard of authority. So this religion of Yoism is based upon that. There's no traditional religious authority. There's no sense of divine inspiration. You could really say its most revered saints would be Bob Dylan, Albert Einstein, and Sigmund Freud. The founder of Yoism said these words, and I quote, I don't think anyone has ever complained about something that didn't lead to some revision or clarification in the book of Yo. Every aware conscience, conscious, sentient spirit is divine 
and has direct access to truth. Open source embodies that. Now listen to this next phrase. There is no authority. That statement encapsulates the reason for the seismic changes we have seen in the last 50 years. There has been a dramatic shift in how authority is viewed. Changes such as changes in sexuality, gender, and how those things are defined can be traced back to a shift in authority. The lack of civility and the decline in decency can be traced back to a shift in authority. Because authority used to be viewed as something that was out there. There was a divine standard that we had to follow. Even if a person was not a believer, there was a belief in a consistent moral law that ought to be obeyed. But no more. I would even argue the shift has gone not from seeking authority out there to where at one point we sought authority from those around us by consensus. I think we've even gone a step forward now to where authority is located in the person. Each individual views themselves as the authority to determine right and wrong. This shouldn't surprise us as believers. Is it not the attack on God's authority that lay at the uh, basis of the temptations in the garden. God, God creates Adam and Eve, places them in the garden, says, eat of anything you want. But his authoritative command is, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The deceiver comes. And he whispers, why don't you eat of that tree? Adam and Eve, no, no, we can't. Then the temptation. Because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be as God. You will be the authority. You will determine right and wrong. You will determine how you are to live. The result is sin, chaos, and confusion. And we're reaping. We're reaping that now in our society. It's as if we woke up one morning and someone had said, all traffic laws are now abolished and the lines on the road are gone. Drive any way you want. Now some of you may be thinking, I, you mean that's not happened? That's how I drive every day. But would it not be chaos to drive in a city where every driver does what they want? Now, it's very easy for us who gather to worship this morning. Those of us who are Bible-believing, Christ-confessing followers of Jesus to cross our arms, shake our heads and say, mm -mm -mm. look how bad things are out there. But we, we as Christians must be on guard that we do not fall into old patterns of thinking where we become the authority. It can happen very easily. It happens when we replace the authority of Scripture with the authority of our tradition. That's why in many churches, even today, there's a de facto segregation that fails to reflect the kingdom of God. Why? Because we rely on tradition rather than what God's Word says. There's some that read God's Word and they look at it, but they refuse to submit to it even though they profess Jesus. The Scripture says to forgive don't let the sun go down in your anger, yet believers carry around with them an anger and an unforgiveness, and they justify it by saying, well, I know the Scripture says that, but 
You don't know what they did to me. So my anger, my unforgiveness is justified. And in doing so, they are replacing the authority of God to dictate their lives with their own authority and thus living in rebellion against God. John 7, 14 through 24 is about the authority of Jesus. Specifically his teaching. And as we look at this, I hope that we will be reminded that the only response we can have to the authority of Jesus is to say, Here am I, Lord. Help me to obey. I want to obey. It is the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles. Probably the, the, the size of Jerusalem swelled to its largest size, second only to Passover, as hundreds of thousands of people have poured into the city to live a week under tabernacles, remembering the journey in the Exodus. Now it's the middle of the week and Jesus shows up at the temple and he begins teaching. His words were shocking. But it was the authority with which he taught that really grabbed the attention of the Pharisees. Prophets would come. And they would say these words, thus saith the Lord. But here comes Jesus. And he says, I say to you. There's a vast difference in those two words. One is coming as a spokesman for God. The other is coming as God. One is coming as a spokesman for the authority. The other is coming as authority. So they are shocked at the teachings of Jesus. Because they know he's not been formally trained. How is he having wisdom and insight and teaching authoritatively when he's never been to seminary? You see, the normal pattern for their teaching was to sit down and they would make a statement and then they would cite what rabbis backed up their particular understanding of Torah. They would give footnotes and cite this authority and that authority. But here comes Jesus and he cites no authority other than God the Father. Now on a side note, I want to say that this passage is not anti-education. We cannot use this passage to say, see, Jesus didn't go to school, I don't have to. Or to say, man, it's a blessing not to be, be educated or go to school. Not at all. The scripture teaches that we should study the word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, study to show yourself approved so that you can be a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. When Paul's in prison, what does Paul say to Timothy? Bring me my books. Oh, it does a heart good, doesn't it? Bring me my books. The parchment, the scrolls. Ezra in the Old Testament is a model of one who took to study and apply God's word. Jesus is not downplaying education, but he is emphasizing authority. That's why he says in verse 16, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He is speaking authoritatively based upon the fact that he is speaking as the Father does. As the Father would and as the Father would will him to speak. But the religious leaders do not recognize that authority. See, that's what should leave our heads, uh, scratching our heads. Why is it that those who are supposed to know God best failing to recognize the authority of Jesus? I mean, these are rabbis who studied the Torah. They studied the old scripture. They should know. But today the question really is much more personal. Why is it when we live in a time where spirituality is emphasized that the authority of Jesus is rejected? That's the question we have to wrestle with. 
Why is it when we hunger for that which is spiritual, we reject Jesus' authority? Well, Jesus leads us to answer those questions and to demonstrate that we should submit to his authority. Verse 11, he gives his first answer. Or verse 17, I'm sorry. He says, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. So it comes down to this. What is the set of your heart? If a person wants to do God's will, then they will recognize the authority of Jesus. In fact, Jesus gives an answer that really drives the knife deeper into the side of the rabbis. He says, Moses has given you the law, but you're not keeping it. You know the law, but you're not desiring to do it. Why? Because he says, you desire to kill me. They aren't serious about doing the will of God. Therefore, they don't recognize the authority of Jesus. So if we are to follow our, our, our main question, why is it when we are so spiritually minded, we don't submit to the authority of Jesus? Here's the follow-up. What is your attitude about obeying the will of God? What's your attitude about obeying His will? You recognize that to follow Christ is to confess Him as Lord. And to confess Him as Lord means that He is the authority in life. I often remember this uh, statement written by Leonard Sweet about a conversation he overheard on a New York subway. It was a couple that were clearly in a relationship. When they got on the subway, he said they were holding hands. But as they were riding and talking, the hand-holding stopped. And the elevated voices started to raise. They got into an argument. He said you couldn't help but overhear what they were arguing about. Till finally, the, the man was kind of in a sound of exasperation. His voice said these words. But Martha, I made this date with Ramona months before we started dating. Now that'll hit you a little bit later. You know why she was upset? Because you can't date me and date somebody else too. Our relationship with the Lord is to be primary. Only. That, that sets the standard. That sets the, the track, the path that we are to follow. Everything else falls in under order under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But we fight against that because we like choices. It's as if we say, well, we don't like, I like authority. I don't mind authority as long as I can decide what I want. Because we love having options. Think about going to get a Coca-Cola. Hot summer day and you want a cold Coke, so you decide to run into the convenience store, grab a Coca-Cola. Oh, my goodness. What are you going to get? Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola Citra, Coca-Cola with lemon, Coca-Cola with lime, Coca-Cola with raspberry, Coca-Cola Zero, Coca-Cola Black Cherry Vanilla, Coca-Cola Black, Diet Coke, are you going to get Diet Coke Black Cherry Vanilla, Diet Coke Citra, Light Diet Coke Citra, Diet Coke Plus, Diet Coke Sweetened with Splenda, Diet Coke with lemon, Diet Coke Light with lemon, Diet Coke with lemon, Coca-Cola Light with lemon, Diet Coke with raspberry, Diet Coke Vanilla Coke, or are you just going to get a Pepsi? <laughs> options. We like options. 
It's like we say, Lord, I want to know your will, but keep my options open so that ultimately I can decide and tailor-make what you tell me to do to what I want. We don't mind the authority of God as long as we keep him as one choice among many, but God will not allow us to do that. His rule is not up for a vote. God is not the God who lays out options. His is not one choice among many. And as long as we are non-committal about following Jesus in obedience and recognizing his authority, we're just like the religious leaders in this chapter we're just like them we know the words but we don't live in lordship so I ask you this morning to examine your heart is there a desire to obey I'm not saying perfection I'm saying do you deep down say Lord show me your will so I can obey it and guess what he has he has see the authority of Jesus is shown and that he seeks the glory of God and Jesus does not lie. That's the second reason we need to submit. When Jesus answers at the end of verse 17, he says, I am speaking on my own authority. You'll know whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Now, Jesus is referring to himself, and he's setting out two options. He said, you will have people come and they'll teach authoritatively, but they're only seeking their own fame. But I'm coming and I'm speaking, seeking God's glory. Now at first, this seems like a case where Jesus is answering his critics by saying, because I said so. That's what it seems like. But there's more to it than that. Jesus in verse 18 says, yes, there will be false teachers that will claim authority, but they claim that because they want to be recognized. Jesus says, I'm not seeking my own fame. We've already seen examples of that. If Jesus was seeking his own fame, he would have gone to the, the Feast of Tabernacles with his brothers and there would have been a, a parade earlier. Jesus didn't do that. He went quietly, privately, not seeking the applause of men, but walking and living in obedience to God. Jesus is seeking the glory of God. Jesus also points out how he's walking in perfect obedience. Verse 19 shows the duplicity of the religious leaders. You teach the law, you know the law, but you're not living it. Jesus, however, walks in perfect obedience. That's why he says, in him there is no falsehood. The examples in the temptations. Jesus could have sought under his own authority to turn the stones into bread and therefore satisfy his hunger, but he did not. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was seeking God's glory, not his own. When Satan tempts him, says, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world, but all you must do is bow down and worship me. Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Man will worship the Lord God and him alone. But the ultimate validation of Jesus' authority in that he seeks the glory of God is in his death and resurrection. Those two events show that Jesus was not living for himself but for God. When Jesus is in the garden and he says, not my will, but your will be done. We have living testimony, written testimony that he is seeking God's glory, even at personal cost and suffering that he would endure. The desire for God's glory is demonstrated definitively by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by his wounds, he calls for our obedience. In the year 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, General Stonewall Jackson was accidentally shot by his own troops. 
He died as a result of the wounds. His body was laid in the capital in Richmond, Virginia for two days before he would be moved to his for his funeral at his home Presbyterian Church in Lexington. Tens of thousands of Confederate people crowded into the Capitol building to look at this beloved leader one last time. As the sun was setting on the last day, the marshal gave the orders to finally close the doors. Crowds had dwindled and it was time to make preparations to transport the body. As the doors were closing, an older man comes hobbling up. He wants in to see the general one last time. His gray uniform is in tatters and there are tears running down his beard. The marshal was about to turn the insistent old man away. And as the marshal started to say, no, sir, it's, it's done, this Civil War veteran raised the stump of his right arm and said, by this right arm that I gave for my country, I demand to see my general one more time. The governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia standing nearby and he ordered the marshal to let him in he said that man has one entrance by his wounds Jesus is God and if there is ever any doubt of his authority we need merely look at the nail scars in his hands and the wounds on his side to be mindful that he has earned the right. By his very nature, he is authoritative and calls for our worship. But if we doubt that, we must simply remind ourselves that he died for us. And such love, such, such a, a death calls for our complete obedience. And Because of the resurrection, we are reminded of his power and the right he has to rule our lives. So Jesus has said and taught that he calls for obedience. And if we seek to know God's will, we will recognize his authority. We can recognize his authority because he is seeking God's glory, not his own. In verses 20 through 24, he tells us that he has the right to be authoritative in our lives because he is the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. Now when Jesus makes the statement in verse 19 that the Pharisees want to kill him, the crowd answers, you have a demon. That's their way of saying you're crazy. They don't know the hearts of the rabbis. They don't know the hearts of the Pharisees. Jesus does. So when they say, you have a demon, that's their way of saying, you're insane. That's crazy. Notice what they say next. Who is seeking to kill you? They don't know. So Jesus walks them through the rationale the religious leaders are using to justify their murderous desires. Jesus says, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Now the one work he's referring to is the one temple he's, a miracle he's done at the temple. Where he called a paralyzed man to stand up and walk. Remember the Pharisees, the religious leaders became angry because this man was carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And that was what prompted their plots to kill Jesus. And then Jesus makes an unusual leap. He moves in verse 22 to talk about circumcision. So why does he make this leap from healing a paralytic man to talking about circumcision? He points out Moses gave you circumcision, but it really wasn't from Moses. And he argues you will circumcise a baby that was born eight days earlier even if it's on the Sabbath because you recognize there's a hierarchy in this 
it's more important to circumcise that baby to give the symbol of the covenant to that child than to observe the Sabbath. And you say, that is okay. Now, Jesus is not pointing out hypocrisy here. He's pointing out the hierarchy. He's saying that idea of Sabbath, I'm sorry, the idea of circumcision is what sets a person, marks them as being under the covenant of God. And that covenant promises redemption. So circumcision becomes a sign of redemption. A sign of wholeness, wellness, that God is going to redeem all things by that one act, that one symbol that you break the Sabbath for. Now here's Jesus' reasoning. You will circumcise on the Sabbath because it represents the covenant. The covenant is about bringing about redemption. Jesus says, I healed a man on the Sabbath. I brought about total redemption of his body. And now you're mad at me even though I am the fulfillment of what circumcision is all about. He's pointing out the, the non-sequitur in their logic. He is saying, I fulfilled what the act of circumcision is all about when I healed that man. That's why he says in verse 24, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Judge rightly. They're looking at the religious leaders because they say the right things. And they are following them when Jesus says, take a look at my works. You view Jesus, he says, basically, as an uneducated rabble-rouser from Nazareth while disregarding the signs that he has done. Look at his works. Look at his teachings. And you see that Jesus has an authority that cannot be ignored or denied. He must be followed and obeyed. Now, we all seek authority. Every one of us in here live by some authority. All of us do. It may be the authority of our own inclinations. It may be the authority of what we see on a news broadcast. It may be the latest opinion polls. But every one of us in here shape our life by some authority. And often we will change. We follow this latest teaching. Or we follow this newscast. And then we change based upon what we want to hear. We must judge rightly who the true authority is. I started reading a book on the Korean War just because I really hadn't read much about that war. In the early pages of the book, the author points out the bind the people of North Korea faced. Prior to World War II and during World War II, they were under the control of Japan, a dictatorship where they were tortured, oppressed. After World War II, the peninsula of Korea was divided and the northern part went from being under Chinese dictatorship to under Russian rule with Stalin. One dictator for another. One authoritarian figure for another. I fear that's what we do. Instead of submitting to the Lord Jesus saying, here I am, I will follow you. We simply put ourselves under the dictatorship and the slavery of one false authority and another. Today I call us to resubmit to following the authority of Jesus Christ. To say, Lord, I don't do it perfect. I know I don't obey, but Lord, I want to. And that may be where our prayer starts. To say, Lord, help me to obey. If we want to understand God's will and the authority of Jesus, I bring us back to verse 17 where it calls us to say, are we willing to do His will? Now I want to ask you to bow your heads with me if you will.